Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Adventuring Academy. I'm your host, Brendan Lee Mulligan. With me as my guest is Mr. Brian Murphy. Hi. Uh, Brian Murphy. Intrepid heroes. Woo! There it is. Uh, Brian, uh, uh, a.k.a. Murph, is of course you know and love as a, a CH alumnus, the dungeon master of Not Another D&D Podcast, a.k.a. NADPA, which you gotta go check out, and also Riz Gutgak from Fantasy High Season 1 of Dimension 20. Thanks That's for, right. Yeah, thanks for coming, Murph. Thank you for having me. And uh, Brennan is also my first ever DM. Uh, we started playing, what, like two, three years ago? three years ago now, yeah, yeah. Three years ago, right when I first moved to Los Angeles, uh, I think there was like a weird rooftop party that it was like the first time I was, like you and Emily were both there, and you guys were like, we want to play D&D. And I was like, I can make that happen. Uh, I hadn't even transitioned to 5e yet, so we've had a, we have a three-year-long Edition 3.5 Dungeons and Dragons game that we've been running, and every December we get a little cabin in Lake Arrowhead. It's nice. It's nice. Yeah, it's very nice. It's very nice. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah. Um, uh, this is so dope. Um, it's been really fun. So we have this home campaign we've been playing in for a long time. You started uh, playing in it three years ago. Your character, Sir Bulric Goulbane, dwarf paladin. Fuck yes. Uh, Murph and I share a fondness for dwarves <laughs> at the expense of elves, I will say right yeah. now. Well, we like rules. Rules! This is why we're DMs. If you go watch the behind the scenes of Fantasy High, it I haven't tweeted this or commented on it. I laughed my fucking ass up because it's like person. It's like Siobhan and Zach and a couple of people being like, like it's just so amazing to have a place to express yourself and to go on an adventure in a magic land with your friends. Cut to Murph. There are consequences <laughs> for stupid actions. That's why D and D is good. Uh, and honestly, I feel you. Yeah, it's like I want to play. I want to play a video game where I can die forever. Like yeah. that's why. <laughs> That's why I play D and D. That's what that's what makes it fun to me is is consequences. Is being like, I rolled this nat twenty when I needed to, and now we don't die or we save the world. It's something that I think I've said some version of before on the this podcast. But to elaborate, my two like my favorite games of the number one favorite game far and away is uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but. Uh, I also love, weirdly, that I don't think is like my brand necessarily, love poker, love mm-hmm. Texas Hold'em. And one of the things I love about it is playing for money. And weirdly, what it comes down to for me and also affects my taste in like stories that I like is the idea of stakes. What is at stake? This is more fun the more it matters, yeah. right? And what's interesting about that is what is represented in a game of poker by money, your real actual finances, your ability to walk away and be like, oh, I can get a nicer dinner tonight because I won money here. Yeah. The stakes of D&D are equally real because loving characters and being invested in a story is extremely emotionally real. Of course. Uh, and I think there are elements of, like in Fantasy High, when you know Eggfort kills himself to bring... Uh, and kills Mr. Gibbons to bring uh, Kristen and Gorgug back. There is a matter of, okay, you guys might have survived, but this NPC that even just like you maybe like thought he was funny or liked him, he's gone and that- And you made him kill himself because you're (laughs) stupid. And that's awesome. (laughs) Right, that like, okay, we tried to jump on some tables and we went after these corn gremlins. It's very, watching that, you as Riz are the Cassandra of that battle. Round one, you're like, gotta get that corn blob. And then round two, you're like, gotta get that corn blob. And it's like, table's fun, swinging at cuties, ha ha ha, they're cute, they're cute. Not so fucking cute now. (laughs) You like, You could probably watch sometimes on like on Fantasy High and watch me trying not to be like an optimizing like uh, uh, not like not even like rules lawyer because you know the rules but more like for like the rest of the party like wanting to be like focus up gang (laughs) this isn't funny this is Dungeons and Dragons and we need to win. Well, there is something about which is I think a lesson that everyone learns playing and. 
you know, for, to the extent that we're here giving advice to like dungeon masters that are starting, you will find as you begin a campaign, and especially for people that are starting a new campaign with new players, that there should be a grace period as you are breaking people in mm-hmm. and introducing the idea of consequences. I think I've already shared this story on the podcast, but remembering in Errol, in our home game, when you guys saw the healer that had like been mentoring Emily hanging from a noose because the Baron's man had killed her. And it was the first time in the campaign that you guys saw like, oh, we kind of breezed out of town knowing there were dangerous men here. Maybe, on, it was literally the very first session. So it was yeah. like, m- under the assumption that like sort of Final Fantasy style, you leave town, nothing changes in town, right? Yeah. But like, oh no, the world is extremely liquid, extremely dynamic, choices matter she's dead and full stop dead and not coming back. And I remember the grim look of determination on everyone's face as you all went like, we're gonna avenge her death. <laughs> and I was like, cool, that's, that's the, la-. and I, yeah. I was like, you guys just got that taste for blood. Mm-hmm. And I think that to the degree that you can, uh, kind of like a baseball glove, break your players in to the idea of consequences and lasting changes to the game world and the story. It's nice to do that in a way that doesn't TPK your players in the first session. Totally, yeah. I think NPCs are kind of there for you to torture your players emotionally. Like, their NPCs are there to die, kind of. And it's up to, it's up to the players to save them, essentially. <laughs> like, in... That's kind of how I approach it, is like, these NPCs that you care about are going to die, and it's up to you to like affect the world in such a way that they get to live. I love it. It's just in the spectrum of Dungeon Masters, Murph is so the, the, the dark Russian, like this like <laughs> insane, grim, like, pain is coming. Um, and I fucking love it. Uh, but it's true. You do use, and it, like... In the same way, psychologically, that like a lot of kids learn about death for the first time with like a childhood pet or something like that, where they go like, oh, seeing it externally is your first step to processing it internally, Mm -hmm. and eventually making PCs ready potentially for a PC to die, uh, or to at least understand that that is what's on the table. Mm -hmm. Rare. It's rare for a PC to die, mostly because PCs have a more intuitive time acting in their own self-preservation for the preservation of things around them. Yeah. But it can happen. Certainly. Uh, has there ever been a time in NADPA where you got close to a PC death? We've had a lot that were very close. Um, we do, we've had a lot of like near total party knockouts. Like we had Siobhan on for an arc where literally just because she was a barbarian is the only reason that she survived. Cause in 5e barbarians are ridiculous. They can, uh, they take like half damage. So there was a total party knockout that only she was still alive. And it was it was because the uh, players weren't kind of taking like the wink, wink, you're gonna die. This is, you right. know, a, a kind of serious situation. There were like these like machine gun turrets that were on the first level of this boat that kept like shooting them. And they kept like trying to disarm the guns even though they were getting shot. And it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna die, guys. I will say that I think part of the trick of being a DM is you actually have some ritual that you have to observe if you are going to allow a PC to die. Mm-hmm. Now I say allow, some the dice are the boss. Right. Sometimes you're in a situation where, you, like someone said, like, were you gonna let the PCs die? And I sort of went like, by the time initiative gets rolled, I kind of stopped being a creator and I'm now a referee. Like we put the bad guys on the table. It's kind of up to fate at that point, yeah. right? That being said, I think that you have a job to set the tone for when things get really bad. Uh, the example I'll use is like, when, do you remember when the trailer came out for Infinity War? Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that trailer for Infinity War and going, oh no, because of how reverse psychology works and tonal stuff. Like, you know, you're used to watching a trailer and it's like, I will make you pay. I will bend the world to my will. I am going to destroy and dis-. And you're like, this dude's about yeah, to get this clowned. Dude's gonna get owned, He's right. gonna get fucking owned hard. Fuck you, dude. And the trailer for Infinity War started and it was Thanos going, 
I feel sorry for you. And you're like, why am I being cared for tenderly? What's about to happen? Yeah. And and it immediately let me know, like, I should be emotionally prepared to lose something mm. here. And I think as a DM, you can do a bat. If you kill a PC in a battle where you're like, hey, a big fucking scorpion comes up, blah, 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 and someone dies, they're going to be rightfully pissed at you. But if you set up a battle like you see like a ship escaping from the harbor, things are coming from the city. There's an, like in other words, there's an opportunity to escape. Yeah. You feel an air of dread settle over the city and you start to get, you, you paint a picture for them of like, make the choices you're gonna make, mm -hmm. but I'm giving you tonal clues about what's at stake here right. rather than normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, and to bring it back to Infinity War, which I haven't seen, but just cause um, pop culture, I, I know what's going on. Huh. I don't like superheroes. I mean, I, I like I like going to a different world. I don't want like like you have superpowers, but you live in fucking New York. Give me a break. Yeah, give I me. Uh, Aragorn's cool. I like <laughs> Aragorn. Um, but um, the uh, I think the idea of like a, a PC death is like they make the choice themselves a little bit. Either they're being stupid or they're being brave, mm -hmm. and then luck, and then bad luck. And I think that's kind of what happens in Infinity War with like Thor. Mm -hmm. It's like he could have like killed Thanos by hitting him in the head. Was that the thing? He's like, yeah. should have aimed for the head. Should've he says that. Head. Yeah. He doesn't do that. So he makes a bad choice, mm -hmm. and then it's some bad luck because it's Thanos' initiative next, and he gets to go. Yeah. Everybody's dead. Right. That's Thor's fault. You know what I mean? Right. And I think there is a, an element of handling PC death of weirdly. This sounds manipulative and borderline not okay. Of making it clear that it's the PCs. I won't say fault, but that. There were choices they made that made yeah. this a, a compelling part of the story. Um, uh, you know, in other words, like, okay, d you were in this pyramid that we made you go because of the adventure, but did you run back for some more treasure? If you ran back for some more treasure, yep. You know what I mean? Like, and where where it goes, like, ooh, there's something actually poetic about this. I think it's the only time where, as a DM, you got to be really careful is if a PC is about to die in a way that's not poetic. And I know that you might be watching this and going, like, well, how do I control that? What if a battle just goes sideways? And I would say that this is part of the reason that you should be making sure that your combats are carefully planned out. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have an overwhelming combat, make sure that it's in a setting where people are emotionally prepared to maybe die. Don't throw an overwhelming combat into this, a scenario where it doesn't seem to play into the idea of a PC maybe saying sayonara. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference between being like, oh, um, you're three level fours and and eight trolls attack you and they just kill you like that's stupid and that sucks but if it's like oh um one of our npcs that we're friends with or something is is captured and they're in like a cave with a bunch of trolls or something and then somebody dies trying to sneak in and get that guy back that's cool yeah so it's it, that's kind of on the dm to be like to make sure that you don't have combat for no reason Yes, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's interesting too to look back and see in terms of like when overwhelming combats are appropriate. Like now that the season's fully out, Calvaxis Golden Horde was an impossible encounter for you guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, challenge rating wise, he was fucking off the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Because I knew that that needed to be a climactic battle, but also because you guys had this magical stopwatch, mm -hmm. but just didn't never I fucking forgot about fucking forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, there's their... What, there's we their don't see the recap, guys. <laughs> but what was so funny is that people were like, oh, this is... One of the things about that combat, actually looking at it, is you guys, aside from the roles for the police to show up... God damn it. God damn it. Uh, truly the only cursed human being I know in real life. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, so bad at rolling down. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so... Emily's pretty good at it. Like we're, it's as a household, we're like 50-50, we're pretty good, but. For sure. Uh, it's wild though, because the, um, you guys really held your own against mm -hmm. Calvaxis. In terms of actual combat and dealing damage and yada, 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 you guys did really well. You guys did, a, to the point where like, you guys survived for so long and rolled so well on your death saving throws that by the time you pulled the watch, it, you guys came back, and Calvaxis was actually a little bit on the ropes by yeah, that point already, right. and you kind of shut him down real quick when you guys came back from that from the the time stop. Yeah. Um, uh, to the point where I was like, oh, they're they're gonna 
have him in the bag. Uh-huh. There's this, this dragon is toast, uh, which was fucking dope. And then that, but at that but at that point, it's like uh, you feel like you've earned it. You know what I mean? Like for us in that moment, we're not thinking. Oh, this fight's really easy now, or something. We're just like, fuck yes, let me hit him. Like, I actually get to do something and roll. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that last round was insane that you guys all did on cut. It was like, it was like lightning bolt, some kind of like sonic. It was like sh- shatter or like thunder or something from Fig. Kristen jumps down his mouth. Gorgug saves Sklanda. I think Fabian got four attacks on him, and then you hit him for some absurd sneak yeah. attack damage. Dude was toast. Yeah. Um, uh, what a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful thing. Um, we, we wanted to talk about some th- stuff today. Uh, specifically, there were some things you brought up that were really interesting, which is starting locations mm. for D&D campaigns. Um, uh, Moonstone Jamboree, we're yeah. talking about uh, the the very beginning uh, setting NADPOD in Moonstone. Uh, I think it is a classic and iconic way to start a D&D campaign to go to a small little town beset by monsters. It's so easy. <laughs> like, that's what I, I would, any new DM, like, start with a village so that you don't have to build the whole city. Whether it be Moonstone or, in my case, Finnery, yeah. which is where you which guys... Which was also a fishing village. A little it was, fishing like, village very similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like as you look through like the DMs guide and everything, you'll see it'll be like city population size four hundred thousand to two million. It's like you do not want to start by having to make two million people. That's too much. Uh, and villages, it's like a village can have a hundred people in it. It can have twenty people in it if you want to have like a really small hamlet or whatever. Is that a hamlet? A hamlet. A hamlet. I think in the old second edition that went even one smaller than hamlet to Thorpe, which the population for a Thorpe was like one to 20. That's just a house. That's just <laughs> a dude lives there. If some fu- you were in the middle of the woods and some fucking guy wandered out and was By like, Thorpe, welcome to the Thorpe. <laughs> All right, the population of the Thorpe has just quadrupled. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Right, yeah. Yoda lives in the Thorpe, I guess, by himself on Dagobah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think starting in a village is great. And also just um, it makes it easy for you to kind of come up with how to make it feel lived in, like the logic of it, of just being like, it's a fishing village. They make their money by fishing and that's it. You don't need to come up with like a bunch of guilds or anything like that. And you can kind of, you know, build off that from there once you like kind of learn how to DM. Yeah. My friend uh, Jack Covell, who is the lead character designer at Heart Machine, which is a great, awesome video game company, who I've been playing D&D with since we were kids. Mm-hmm. We've been playing with him for like 10 years in this one campaign. Um, he uh, did a campaign when I was like getting very busy and we were running Aerodane a little bit less. He came in and was like, uh, uh, I'm going to run a thing called, uh, it was called Goblin Trouble. And he's like, you're in a village in thick woods. The old empire fell. There's no maps. Goblins are everywhere. Yep. And every PC was like, got it. Great. And what's so funny is he was like, I'm doing this so that I don't have to think about world background because we all just want to play and I'm going to make my life easy. You know, mm-hmm. I cut to, like, to me, like, world background design, this, that. And yeah. it, but it's like, exhausting to do that. And he mm-hmm. was like, I don't have that bandwidth. I'm going to do this. And it was fucking awesome. Yeah. Not every world needs to have pages and pages and pages of world picture truth. But what's funny is that we played it for like, two years and got really fucking into it. I had this character who was this like, he was a, a giant, but who was like an, an armored, he was like a holdover from this imperial time when giants were these shock troops of these like wizard emperors. Uh-huh. And he was lawful evil, but was not like an evil carrot. Yeah. He was just like a violent thuggish, like. But he likes rules. Likes rules, rules and was rule. like, I'm gonna find a wizard this place has fallen into chaos. What is needed is a strong iron fist yeah. to rule this land. Uh-huh. Uh, and I will find a wizard to do that, and I will kill his enemies. And was like, in other words, a weirdly relatable character that in any other setting would be like, this is an enemy, but in a setting beset by goblins terrorizing everywhere, it was like, oh, the giant came in and killed all those goblins, and then told us we have to pay a tithe of our farms to this wizard, but we're glad the goblins are gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, but like, it was so funny is in the 
making of that world session by session by session as Jack like further developed and like moved his village to village, the world started to accrue a really awesome backstory just by piecemealing it together. And having the world design happen in that really organic way never deprived us of a feeling of the richness of the world at all. Yeah, you just, you need to know like, you know, what's in the little circle for the session and then what's in a little circle like around that. You don't need to know everything. Like George R.R. R. Martin doesn't know what's going on with Bran. Like no, he's he making not. shit up no, as he, he goes. Not. And he's the most famous fantasy author. Like, yeah. you don't need to know everything right away. No. And that's why I just, like, start with, start with a little village, guys. Little village. It's very, yeah, there's a, uh, I think picking your starting locations is really important for that reason. I will say, though, to, to do something that's maybe counter to the, the classic wisdom is I think your location can be very humble and I think that your amount of world background can be as developed or non-developed as you like. Mm -hmm. Because again, your PCs, they're experiencing the game from their point of view. So as long as they understand themselves and what they're up to, just make the world around them and their experience, that's yeah. fine. Or flip out and make a ton of stuff if you want. But just like, don't get it twisted. The focus is on the yes, PCs. Yes, yes. Do the, do the fun part of world building. If you're like, oh, I've got awesome ideas for like all these gods and this pantheon and everything, go ahead and do that. But don't feel like you need to, you know, iron out all the rules for every guild in the main city if you're just starting with a fishing village. Exactly. You'll figure that out when they get to the city. As you're developing the pantheon, keep in mind, you're developing this because theoretically one of the PCs will worship one or have a connection. Like in other words, or just like ask, they'll just be like, what, what God do I like? And you're just like, you just pull something out of your ass. You don't need like, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. One thing I will say though, is I think that to go counter to classic wisdom, I would recommend starting your pieces in a location, but not throwing them into a situation where you're like, you're in a tavern. You guys all like each other, right? Mm -hmm. you, you guys are all friends, right? Because even if your PCs are very good natured, like I'm a pretty easygoing PC, and if you go like, Brandon, can you just get along with all these other characters? I'll go like, yeah, of course, I'll get along with them. But if I don't know why I'm getting along with them, I will have to do a little bit of extra legwork on my own to figure that out. I think one of the things I would recommend, especially if, like looking back at like Fantasy High, is I think the party got so close so quickly and the friendship was so real, partially because every single character got their own little window into starting together mm -hmm. and had that thing of like, Riz knows he's looking for the missing girls. Kristen knows that she's trying to convert people to Helio. And I think that there's a lot to be said for um, starting your PCs off feeling heroic, meaning that they feel like there's a reason they're adventuring, mm -hmm. rather than like, you're in a tavern, some shit goes down. What are you, you gonna yeah, do yeah, yeah. about it? Like, I, I think people, Definitely DMs should talk to their players first and get their player backgrounds because then because even with like Nad pod it was easy to get Caldwell Jake and Emily hooked into the first quest because it was like uh, Caldwell's character is like a, a Halfling Boy Scout as part of the group called the Green Teens and the Green Teens get captured so he instantly has to go save them. And then Jake's character being like this like wannabe adventurer heroic guy is like missing children is he is going to make that choice on his own to like care about that. Yeah. Whereas if you make your starting quest and you're just like, there's some orcs on the edge of town and we got 20 gold for you if you, it's just, it's not the same. I totally agree. And I think that it's one of those things where when you're talking about plot hooks or at like an adventure hook, mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember that a static PC or a PC that doesn't, that is just a collection of abilities, or even like a personality with no desire. Like if you're like, I'm a sarcastic warlock, and you're like, sarcasm has never motivated anyone to do anything. Yeah. What drives your character forward? 
you need your PCs to be in motion and to have wants and desires in order to be able to hook them at all. So it's so much better if you have a wizard, if a wizard's like, I am a, a brilliant but befuddled wizard. It's like, cool, I, that's a personality trait. But if you're like, I'm searching for scrolls because my order's collapsed. Mm -hmm. Or like, I want to prove that I'm the best wizard in the world, that these active wants, then it's easy to hook people. Because yeah. you go like, you heard that the orcs at the edge of town have some scrolls. Have a thing and you're like got it yep. i know yep. why i'm doing this yep um it might feel unfair as a dm to uh be like well why is the motivation of a pc my responsibility and the question is often especially if you have new players it's not intuitive for people that haven't like taken a creative writing seminar to know to give themselves that yeah so you can do a lot in character creation to be like this is a funny thing, but again, to look at someone who's a PC and be like, hey, I see you're designing your character and you want them to be like an edgelord loner. Even if we're gonna say that let's definitely have you be this like shadowy ranger who has no friends, let's give you something that makes you put one foot in front of the other mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. Uh, because that's going to make this all feel fun. Yeah, you have to care about something. Gotta so care that about there something. are stakes. Yeah, 100%. So that there are stakes and there can be consequences for stupid Which choices. Which we love. We, we love, love killing people. <laughs> we love it. Him. Questions, thank you very much. This first question comes to us from Mr. Rick Perry Ooh. himself, the maestro. Rick Perry creates all of our sets for Fantasy High. Brilliant. Minis, uh, he's the maestro, he's a genuine wizard. I'm always curious to know exactly what a DM has behind their screen. Monster note cards, stuff bookmarked, etc. cetera. Mm. Uh, Murph, what do you got behind your DM screen when you're DMing that pod? I usually print out um, my monster so that I don't have to flip through a million different books. Because cool. I have, like, you know, I, I like to collect D&D uh, books at this point. Um, so I print them out by, like, possible encounter. So if people are going into, like, this castle and there's, like, a... Uh, you know, some like commander knight that they might fight and then a bunch of guards. I'll have the knight and the commanders all on one sheet. Mm -hmm. And then if there's like, if they're gonna go into the swamp and there's like bullywugs and a snake or something, they're all on a separate sheet. And based on kind of what the players decide to do, um, you know, I'll have, I'll have that sheet ready. And then, you know, just in case they like fuck up and do something insane, like throw a knife at the king or something, you'll be like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll have the monster manual here in case I had to like look up what a sick noble's uh, stats would be. Your, I, the haunted expression on your face when you talk about them throwing a knife at the king just makes me all the more excited to one day play with Caldwell. I <laughs> <laughs> well, he has it. Nobody ever, I, Everybody always does things that are like very brave, but too brave. It'll right. be more like, ah, the main bad guy um, of the entire campaign uh, is giving a speech to them and they're only level five and they're gonna try to kill him. It's like, I was planning on having him disappear in a puff of smoke, but I guess he's gotta smack you around a little bit now. <laughs> uh, I love that. Printing them out is great. I use my laptop all the time, which mm. someone commented recently, like, what do you have your laptop back there for? And it's like, Dog, that's I, I do that too. Laptop, and what I do is I have tabs open to monsters, spells, and I just make sure that I play in a place with Wi-Fi because mm. there's that command F, that find function is so critical. Ooh, that's helpful for, for me. I should start doing that. Uh, it's great to just zoom around in, in a spell list somewhere or look up some, some ability really quickly that's like buried in a larger file. And for 5e at least, but with most games, they have their content available on like some website site somewhere yeah. uh, that you can go to and click whether it's like a wiki or something else you can uh, quickly find material I'll do that for monsters for lots of stuff it's really really helpful um, and just gives me a flexibility and ease of mind uh, I also especially with like giant combats like we have uh, uh, for fantasy high where also we're like on a timetable of mm -hmm. like oh the episode we want the episodes to come in around a certain time um, uh, I started making these little initiative sheets for myself that also have, so it's like a grid of the number of the round, the initiative, or so after initiative is, is rolled, I'll put in everyone's name, then I'll go round up here, and then in addition to checking people one by one as we go through the initiative order, I'll have little boxes for mark reminders, be they status conditions like poison, grappled, stunned, whatever, uh, 
or I'll have uh, stuff like remembering like wild magic surges. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I will then usually have uh, loose hit points for PCs on the bottom, just for me to keep track of like who's getting really banged around and who's not. And I'll have the same for uh, villains, along with not only hit point totals, but like spell slots for them, legendary resistances. And then the fucking bane of my life, which is concentration spells, which mm. I always fucking yep. forget. Yeah, me too. Uh, I will have spell cards in a little, they have a little, like, I draw a little jail for them on the sheet, and they live there. And then every time someone takes damage, I, like, spread them out a little bit and go, like, is there a spell that's got to happen now? Um, I still forget sometimes. It's hard. It's, it's little... tough. You have it harder as somebody who is on video, because <laughs> it's easier for me to edit myself, like, with audio. Like, I can just be, like... Stop, guys. I need to go check the book. And, you know, like, we'll just take a minute and everybody will go to the bathroom and I'll go through the books and make sure, you know, it, it's a little easier in audio form, I feel. It's true. It's also hard because, you know, like, there's a, yeah, I mean, like, for Fantasy High and, and Dimension 20 in general, we don't edit yeah. know, at all, pretty much. I mean, like, the, the editors, obviously do a tremendous amount of work polishing stuff. The putting editors are sound effects and yeah, putting like inside that. the editors do a, do a Herculean test. They're incredible, mm. uh, but you know we leave the vast majority of the material in there. Um, so you know th there's a lot of things where I will also go like we're gonna skip that not because I'm taking it easy on the PCs but just because I can't do it another needs to be entertaining it, this yeah. needs to be entertaining we got no, we'll have on NADPOD it'll literally be like somebody will take a whole turn and then just be like wait I didn't actually have a second level spell slot and it's just like okay we'll do your turn again and I'll just delete it because <laughs> like god know, that sounds rad it's great yeah uh, that's so fun yeah um, the other things behind the screen oh having things taped up on the screen is nice I have a little index card that has uh, and I started doing this recently I don't even think I did this during Fantasy High. Uh, I've streamlined a lot of my. Pr I've been doing this for twenty years, and you have to because you're. You gotta. You have to be fast. Um, I have every PC's armor class, their mm. uh, uh, the DC of their spells, all that stuff pre-listed, so they. I don't have to check in with them. I know if a monster hits them, and I know if a monster because they don't know them. it. Yeah, the DM needs to know everything. It's generally how it works. <laughs> uh, actually, because of um, Rick, Rick suggested this to me one time, um, which is to uh, write out your initiative, like literally write 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, and mark people off that way. Because I had previously, I'm just like a very messy, not organized person. I would literally just be like, uh, Jake, then Emily, then Caldwell. And there'd be like little arrows to like, as like monsters rolled in and everything. And it's gotten a lot easier for me. I also sometimes will roll initiative ahead of time for monsters. Ooh, and I, cool. so I have like pages of like, this is what this encounter could look like, this encounter could look like. And if it's any time that they're fighting a big battle, um, I have that all. If it's going to be like, there's Knolls, and then there's Burly Knolls, and then there's the Flind that is going to do this, and the Purple Worm. It's like, if there's five or six different category of monsters, I have them all pre-ruled behind That's the screen. That's extremely good. Uh, that rules. That's a uh, You should do that. Yeah. Um, something else, th this is not true for Fantasy High. In my home game, in Errol that we play, we recently had a combat, and I have a bunch of little counters and tokens. My favorite tokens that I have for when I just have like the mat and marker on it. Uh -huh. Because, you know, it's like a little bit more, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, homey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, informal. Uh, I use Othello tokens, which are uh, white and black, and right. I'll flip the token over to the white side, and you can use erasable marker to keep track of how much damage mm. an enemy has taken right on top of the little guy, Yeah, which is a handy thing you can do. Uh, the most recent battle we had in Errol, I couldn't do that because I needed to use all the little gemstones because there were so many bandits. Yep. Uh, we had a fun... Zakoyama got us into um, <laughs> a fight against every bandit in the world. <laughs> By failing a, I, he was he failed like a persuasion check to his character's name is Guseffi, and he went in and a bunch of people asked who he was and he really unconvincingly said that his name was Musefi and then he rolled like a one and there were just like ninety guys around. He just decided to walk in. It was a camp of very scary bandits in a world that's ex experienced like undergoing a kind of like arcane 
collapse of civilization almost. And there's all these fucking bandits. And he's like, there's so many bandits. I'll just walk in. They won't recognize me. And it's the kind of thing where you're like, yeah, but also like if you're in a group of like nine, like ninety people is a lot of people, but it's not that many if people. You go to a towny bar; people know that you're not from there. They know right yeah. away. It can be a bar packed to the gills, 150 people. They yeah. they know you're not. So they're like, "Hey, dude, what's your deal?" And he's like, "I am Musafi," yeah. and everyone drew swords and stabbed him. Like, I literally eight people stabbed him right away. And then the four kings came out. Were <laughs> we had a there were it was a manticore, a chimera, a basilisk, and a cockatrice all came out, and they were all really stupid and sucked. But because our first round was so bad of Zach getting stabbed like ten times, we thought we were fucked. So we were all like, and we're all like level ten, so bandits are like nothing to us. But we were so fucked at first that we all start like retreating but we're killing like 10 dudes every turn funniest so murph has just leveled up to become a cavalier and has like a lance with like the valorous trait on it and the funniest move ever seen the manticore well first of all they all four of these monsters jumped out the manticore was talking so there was an implication that they were all brilliant turns out only the manticore so the manticore was like we are four kings and the other three are like <laughs> like completely Just unthinking sucky idiots sucky idiots and murph goes we must flee and charges and on the way out is like i'll get one glancing strike on the manticore as i charge past him completely obliterates his skull and just whips around to rejoin so like we must go never no turn around <laughs> never mind the leader sucks so the other guys suck uh very very funny yeah um, that is a good thing though for a starting location. Um, speaking of like bandits and stuff, I in, and you did this for um, our arrow campaign for our yeah. uh, off-camera campaign, um, which is to just have bad guys like making trouble in town. Great. So it's like you have the you have the goblins outside of town. You have the bad guys making trouble inside town. Whether it's like a baron's men or um, you know some kind of uh, barbarians or bandits or something, yeah. then the players feel like they're choosing. But the only stuff you need to you just like create some bullies. You don't even need to like write for that. You're just like, there's a guy who is mean at the tavern. <laughs> it's true. And I think there is also something, I mean, I do this a lot in my campaigns as well, uh, especially Errol, where there's like multiple different bad guys, some of which are working together, some of which are working across purposes. And it's a really easy way to make it feel like there's adventure everywhere. But the PCs are like, what? do we want to do which is all the fun of D, &D yeah. anyway is just getting to choose what your adventure is going to look like mm -hmm. <clears throat> how can you get into D, D if you didn't play it as a child i've been having an extremely difficult time finding anyone in my area that takes brand new players and if i ever find one i'd hate to be the annoying newbie in the group uh lizard i don't think anybody thinks newbies are annoying people are usually excited to like share their hobby with people yeah, I would say, right. If you are getting shade from people for being a newbie, then those people suck. You got a dip yeah. because, you, and actually, you just dodged a bullet because that was a bad campaign going on. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'll be honest. There's a very common. I've been DMing for 20 years, and there's a really common thread of like, that's why you're good because you've been doing it for 20 years. That's not true. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've improved that much since I was 12, you know? <laughs> you know? You must have been pretty good when you were 12 then. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yeah. but, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's... But people were having fun in your games when you were 12, and that's the point of it. That's the point of yeah. it, right? That, like, it doesn't... It doesn't take that long to get really good. I DM'd the second game I ever played. Yep, there you go, exactly. And it didn't go, like, crazy smoothly. There were a ton of things I got wrong. There were moments where, you know, I got, like, tripped up or something. But my friends had fun, and it was good. By know? the way, you, like, you don't get, like, you can't win D&D. &D. If people had a good time, that's a success. Exactly, that's a win. That's a win. Yeah. Uh, I 100% agree. And it's, I think it's important to, to try to dispel some of that, like, you got to bank a lot of time to get good at this. Mm -hmm. Nope, you don't. You And, and honestly, if you are fucking up, you're, you, like, 
it doesn't detract from the fun. I've been doing this for 20 years and we'll get through a battle and be like, oh, we got that rule wrong. We were doing yeah, that wrong the whole course. time. Yeah. And you go like, oh, it's still ruled. And also because magic is real in these universes, you're like, I guess that spell was extra potent because you were in a ley line. Yeah. And then everything's groovy and you just keep moving on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that it's, uh, so I will say that no one cool is gonna have a bad time with you because you're a newbie. People are usually, I'm always excited to share with people. I played as a PC in Molly Ostertag's home game and people had a running joke of me as the rules lawyer uh -huh. because they because every once in a while someone would be like, I rolled and they'd be like, you know, like, ah, uh, oh, I only got a 13 and I'd be like, you're forgetting your bless. And like come yeah, in and yeah, be like, yeah. Yeah, that's actually not rules lawyering, that's helping. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but that's the thing is I'm a rules lawyer for good, for the forces yes. of justice. Lawful good instead of lawful evil. Exactly, right. there you go. And uh, uh, so like, if you're playing with people that are advanced, they will love to help you. Ali had never played D&D &D before, and they had a fucking ball, and I think everyone was excited to help Ali. Like, there's, you can go and see Murph being a lawful good rules lawyer as well, and like helping Ali out yeah. with stuff. Find your buddy at the table that's gonna help you out with that, 100%. It's fun to, it, yeah, it's fun to like, teach other people and to like learn with other people and stuff like that it it reminds you of why you love the game you know a, what i mean a hundred percent and then also i i think that people you know maybe this was true five or six years ago before there were like all of these D, &D shows um that you can't dm or something because you've never played before or something like that but like Somebody who's watched Dimension 20 for, you know, 30 or 40 hours has a much better <laughs> grasp on the game than somebody who's played like three times, right? I 100% agree. Like there are people who have watched Critical Role for four years and they think they don't know how to play D&D. &D. I guarantee you, you are not missing anything but the sliver of a fraction yeah. of what's going on there like if you if you've watched all of fantasy high there's you not, can dm you can dm by the starter set it's very easy it's like this like thin little booklet you can go through it like 100 i will say to the, the to the practical element of this question about like how do i find a group that's really challenging Part of the thing that's beautiful about D&D &D is that you're playing in real time with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Part of the thing that's challenging about D&D &D is you're playing in real time with other human beings. Schedules have to align, even if you're playing remotely. I would say uh, if you're living in a place that's not very population dense, mm -hmm. try to find players online. There's great Skype games going on. Um, and uh, if that proves to be challenging as well, I would say that um, you, I used to play when I was a, a wee little child, when I was like 11 and 12. My brother and I, who were already playing D&D all day, Saturday and Sunday, every week with our friends, would usually, after schoolwork was done, like, like around like dinner time and after, would literally sit on our beds in our bedroom and play one-on-one -on -one uh -huh. with each other. One-on-one D&D, like psychopaths, <laughs> like crazy people. Yeah. We would just play and play and play. Um, so, you know, a, uh, like a three per, you had three PCs yeah, in NatPod. In NatPod, it's just three people and me. So yeah. you don't even need like, I, I think a lot of people too will see like Dimension 20 or something. They're like, oh, well, how do I get like eight or nine people together? Yeah. You don't need to. No. You can, we've done, um, I play with Emily's family. I'll DM for Emily and her dad. And it'll be like a little two-person party, and it's super fun. That's so fun. Yeah. That's so fun. That's yeah. great. So I would say uh, uh, try your best to uh, either, you know, telecommute or tell you know play remotely if you can if not you can scale down the size of your party yeah. uh and also if you're worried about dming you can also take turns you can you know like uh uh share the responsibility and i think that uh you know it's one of those things where uh, people will you know talk to me on the discord for dropout people and be like you know i i am like scared and i always want to go like if you if you've watched the show there's nothing you're not getting i yeah. promise you you are ready right yeah and also, if you have if you have friends that are like, um, you know, some people have completely different interests from their friends, so that's like one thing. But if you have friends that are like play video games or like like kind of nerdy stuff or into these sort of things, if you have a few friends that want to play D and D, and you probably do, they would be happy to have somebody who is willing to DM, even if they didn't know what they were doing. You know what I mean? Just to give it a shot. The amount of 
Honestly, I think the biggest bottleneck for D&D in general is finding people who want to DM. Nobody's willing to do it. Uh, and But be prepared if you do say that you're going to DM. Just be prepared to... DM all the time. DM all the time. Yeah. And be prepared to have played the game for 20 years and have only ever gotten the character to seventh level. Hit me up in the comments if you guys want to DM for me. Um, <laughs> um, beyond official D&D books, sources, what do you primarily use to create your universes? With Dimension mm. 20, you clearly have a plethora of sources you draw from, but what sources do you suggest for aspiring DMs to base their worlds on? Whoa. Uh, that's heavy. I like video games. Yeah. I, I like, um, I like like kind of steampunky stuff. So I end up using like Warcraft type Sorry, thing. that's official bad dad. Official. <laughs> official bad dad asked the question. Official bad dad. Me. Um, yeah, I, I kind of find that my, my campaigns end up skewing towards whatever I'm into at the time. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm playing The Witcher or something, like suddenly there'll be, you know, cool um, witch hunter alchemists who are, you know, trying to track down monsters or something like that. So I kind of just like, I find that I just naturally incorporate whatever other nerdy thing I am enjoying. Yeah. Um, but what do you? I mean, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pre my first like memories, I think I was three or four years old. My mom gave me a like tabard and a like wooden sword, and I would run around pretending to be Gareth of Orkney, who's one of Sir Arthur's knights of the Round Table. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't. What drew you to Gareth? <laughs> What's that? What drew you to Gareth specifically? He was the kitchen knight. He was. I used to say, "I'm the kitchen knight." I and he was the Orkney brother. He was like Gowan's little brother. Cool. Uh, now I love uh, Gowan might be my favorite knight. We all got favorite knights of the round table, right? <laughs> if it's not Lancelot, you're a nerd. <laughs> if you know more than one of the knights, dude, fucking what you Galahad, Bedivere, fucking Galahad, you know, you fucking you fucking know Galahad. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> Grail quest. Um, what I'm interested in uh, uh, does change from time to time, but I was like. Deeped in fantasy, my mom is literally. Look up Elaine Lee. She's like a, a like incredible science fiction author. She wrote Starstruck. But I was like steeped in like mythology and Joseph Campbell and fantasy and all that shit from like a teeny time. I was like baked in kind mm -hmm. of. And the campaigns I've run from when I was like. 11 to 17, I ran the most classic D&D &D high fantasy campaign all the way to 20th level. We all were going off to college. We like wept in a cabin as the campaign ended. Everyone like became gods. Um, what a hoot. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Just hell yeah. Uh, in college, I had another campaign that was, uh, and it was interesting because I was like, well, I did high fantasy. So what the, f I, I wanted to do something new. So I did this thing called Storm City, which was um, fantasy noir. Mm -hmm. And it was like this insane, ever dark city of like gritty crime fantasy stuff. And using different inspiration. And when we're talking about inspiration, I think often what you're talking about is tropes. You're talking about genre, archetypes, tone, mood, vibe. Right, uh, Aridane, the, the 3.5 campaign that I've been doing the longest, uh, is very steampunky. Um, very and very like Miyazaki, like Laputa Castle in the Sky. Uh, but notice that again, like I'm name checking like specific mythologies, fantasy things. If you want to do straight Lord of the Rings, do straight Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Errol, uh, Errol, I went kind of back to my roots of like, and honestly, the one I ran when I was a kid was high, high fantasy. There was a nation of dragons. That's some goofy a whole shit. city full of dragons? Like, what is the ecosystem there? With Errol, I wanted to give you, because you guys never played D&D &D before, I was like, do I want to make, and I even pitched you guys, I was like, do you want to do fantasy noir? Do you want to do this? And I think everyone was like, give us the straight. Be a dude who has a sword. Yeah, I want yeah. the straight fantasy, right? So there's nothing wrong, especially if no one's ever played before. All of us, who doesn't want to be an elven princess? Yeah. Who doesn't want to be a fucking, like, ancient old sorcerer? We yeah. want these archetypes. Um, but you might find that after years of playing, you're like, I'm building a tolerance. Mm -hmm. I need some weirder shit yeah. to do it for me. Um, and I, so I think that there's no wrong choice. 
like I do I, I think it's interesting I and you see it with DMs that have been DMing for longer which is it's it's really weird that I'm going to make this comparison but it's almost like MMA a little bit where if you look at the beginning of UFC it's like all of those guys come from different traditional martial arts and so it's like you got jiu-jitsu guys fighting um, karate guys and stuff like that kickboxers boxers whatever but now people are just learning MMA like you can go to like there are good fighters who instantly were you know when they were like 15 or 16 years old are learning wrestling and kickboxing and like the foundations of MMA that's kind of what Dungeons and Dragons is like now is you've got I think good DMs and people who are building worlds who like maybe haven't even necessarily read like Lord of the Rings or anything like right and soon I think you will see DMs who only know Dungeons and Dragons. That's like the only fantasy thing that they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, where do you come into this? Would you? Do, are you like old man crotchety? Like that's wrong? Or are you like no? Because yeah. I'm. I, I think I'm in the middle. Because I'm. I'm a video games guy. Or that's like how I came into it. Like my big experiences with fantasy are like playing EverQuest yeah. and like MMOs and playing like um, Warcraft Two and all of that. Like getting really nerdy about the lore of all of that stuff was more my thing than like Tolkien stuff, which I got into later, yes. but only kind of like, I read more fantasy now that um, I'm DMing all of the time than I did like, it didn't inspire me to get into Dungeons and Dragons like video games did. Yeah. And just being like, DMing is a way for me to make my own video game essentially. It's just like, mm -hmm. I can just write like Final Fantasy 20, that's me, buddy. And you yeah. guys are my players and I'm the programmer and you're in my world. Well, I love that too because I think that it's like every, all of these differences between you and the other DMs that are working, and by the you, I mean the rhetorical, right. all yeah, of yeah, us, yeah. is that no one can DM like you because no one's gonna have your exact combo of influences. Mm -hmm. The second you started talking about that, I started thinking about NADPOD and I was like, Fuck, man, like all the combat encounters are so well designed from like in NADPOD are so fun from the idea of how to interact with the combat as a game in and of itself. And also the PCs got the airship. Yeah. In your thing. Yeah. Literally, it's literally, it's Final Fantasy. Yeah, like, it's that's, so fun, man. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love that. Um, so I think never be afraid to use what makes you passionate. Right, yeah. Whatever you're bringing from, even if, you're sh if your shit that you fucking love is like, you know, those like romance video games, like dating sim video games, yeah. bring that into your D&D &D thing. Do yeah. you like, a, was like Dragon Age is the one where it's all yeah. romance simulated? Like bring whatever you're excited about to D&D &D and the game will be able to adapt to what your interests are. Um, you don't need to have read The Silmarillion yeah. to DM. <laughs> I'm actually Silmarillion. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, but you don't. You right. absolutely don't. And Case in point. Case in point. I don't even know the fucking name. <laughs> uh, the Hobbit's better than The Lord of the Rings. We better go to the question. Um, uh, no, but it's uh, not the movie. The book. The, bu <laughs> the movie. The movie is fucking bad. Yeah, the movie is bad. Uh, uh, but no, it's really true. And again, uh, but in terms of the question, like when we're talking about inspiration, I would. La I will also say my last thought on that would be like, um, don't be afraid to be really. Don't feel like you have to have a weird mystery about what your inspirations are. Mm -hmm. Like notice that me and Murph are saying the names of books and movies and yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. Don't be like you know if people in your are asking and they're like, oh, this like culture you're creating feels kind of like weird Celtic Ireland vibe. Is that what you're going for? Don't be like, no, it's totally original. Be like, yeah, that's the vibe I'm exactly, going for. Yeah. If you're doing a Miyazaki thing, be like, yeah, I'm. This is all about flight and travel and like, but with weird Mononoke vibes. Like, don't be afraid to be like, yes, if these keys are helping you get in, these are my sources of inspiration. Share that with your PCs because mm -hmm. it's gonna help them make a character that aligns with the themes of your world. And it feels good for a PC when they don't feel like rendered in a different artistic style than the world. If a PC feels like, oh, I really am a character that belongs in this setting and plays into its themes, I think people have a better time. Mm -hmm. um, this is a perfect question for having Murph on, which is why I wanted to get to it. Uh, when it comes to being a DM, where do you draw the line at letting players do things? At what point do you just straight up say no? I've said this many times on NADPOD, which is the characters are Legolas. 
they are not Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I don't want to run that goofy shit. If you want to take your shield and surfboard down some stairs and shoot some elephants and ride down the trunk, dope, awesome. You can do that with a good athletics check. But you're not, like, um, using a whoopee cushion to distract somebody. You're not doing a mating call to, like, trick a bullywug into thinking you're a frog. Like, not going to work. They're going to come out and kill you because bullywugs are evil frogmen who worship frog hemats, and they will feed you to a big frog if you goof around. That's great. I really love that. Uh, uh, that's very fun. I feel like, well, first of all, it's like uh, uh, your crew of Jake and Caldwell and Emily on NADPOD are great because I feel like you have a hard line stance about that and you have some players who will try some shit. Yeah. Shout out to Sexy Rat from Fantasy High. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but was I, that was Emily? Sexy that was Rat? Emily's. Of course. I listen. Emily is one of the best D and D players in the world. Endlessly creative. So fun to play with. She was also sent from hell to kill me. Yes. 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 yes, yes. yes. You understand. Yes. Um, and uh, she's it, chaotic, and we're rules guys. We're rules guys. Yeah. You got to play by the rules. Um, uh, so, but what's interesting is I think that I. And this is pure hubris on my part. I never want to say no. Mm -hmm. I never want to say no. So all that I will do, if you, I think if you watch me DM, it's all Aikido. It's all redirecting energy. So someone's like, I want to pull a bomb out of my butt. And I'm like, it sounds like what you want to do is come up with a solution to create an area of effect spell. You have another spell that can do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm very like Siri about it. Like, I didn't get that. Uh -huh. Are you trying to, you know, like yep. I always want to try to react it in that way. Um, My other move is roll three nat 20s in a row. <laughs> I've had, there was um, one time uh, Caldwell tried to do stand up to get a, um, it was some monster that was literally like born a, of hell. His name was like the loneliness or something in the monster manual or in Mordenkainen's uh, Tome of Foes. And it was like just like a being of pure sadness that like they just needed to kill. But he was like trying to do stand up. And I literally said, roll three nat 20s in a row. And um, he didn't. He rolled one. Insane. But you, yeah. Insane. I do feel like. As a DM, what you can do is be empathetic to your player. If your player is searching for a creative solution and you can sense that it's because they're actually frustrated with the options that are available to them, like you're reading their face and they're like, I don't know, can I fucking try this? And you're like, oh, this is a good faith effort because you feel that you don't have good options available to you. I think you can talk that through with them at the table and be like, yeah, and you can massage stuff. Mm -hmm. If someone's like, can I use my magic to like, uh, kill everybody and you're like well you can't do that but you can shoot a fireball you can shoot a fireball yeah. like massaging redirecting energy and trying to help people find a solution that makes them feel like their character i think as much as possible as you can avoid saying no and try to lead your pc in the direction of here's what i think it sounds like you're trying to do mm -hmm. here's something that within the rules would be possible that's very much in the direction of what you're going for that's great uh, to avoid those hard nose. And you can also you can also kind of like use the rules to your advantage where you can kind of be like a wink wink this might not be the best idea or this is going to be really hard to pull off. Like somebody's like, "Can I I want to run up behind them and stab them in the neck." It's like, "Well, the, you know, the rules are in place cuz like AC is them moving around and stuff, so it's like you have to hit to do that stuff." But you can be like, "Okay, I'll give you advantage on the attack if you want to do some crazy acrobatics check and do like a flip off the wall or something like that." And that but if you fail, then you you flubbed it and you fell on your face, you don't get to attack at all. Deferring to the dice is always great yeah. because you can always be like, "I'm telling you how unlikely this is because I'm setting the DC so high." Yeah. And that is a good way to do that unless Ally Beardsley rolls a nap. 20 which in, happens a lot which happens a yeah, lot yeah uh it's also it's interesting um to hearing you like me saying like tell them roll three nat 20s in a row and you being like well it's about like using aikido to like get your players it's also like different dming styles a little bit because i also do that but there's also i feel like um the difference in our kind of like energies is that i think you're like a dad and i'm like their older brother <laughs> in a way where it's like i feel like 
our players like respect you more than my <laughs> players respect me in my game even though i think as pe they both they like i think everybody acknowledges how much work the dm is like being the dm is and everything but i think um just kind of depending on how you play the game or something kind of like affects how you because like me and my players are like very antagonistic where it'll be like like they'll literally be like we fucking beat you we whomped you like that kind of thing it'll be like fuck you like my characters say fuck you all the time They're just always <laughs> in arguments with them but i think you know it, it works both ways I uh, that to be high status and nice or low status and mean. Yeah, <laughs> like you have to be willing to be one of the players and eat shit. The, you know what I the mean. The more adversarial you are as a DM, I will say that it does g create that sense of them wanting to get you. I know, for example, that when my PCs are in a lot of danger, I don't get gleeful. I get yeah, very. I yes, get, yes, yes. I get very sad, and I think that has an effect on my PCs because when I start rolling dice and I'm going like. <sighs> Yeah. And my PCs go, no! Right, right, right. Because I'm like, I don't want to see you go, but, um, you know, hey, kiddo. I'll say yeah. I do, I revert to that when things are, like, very serious. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to kill my guys. But um, when they're, like, really ragging on my NPCs, I do want to beat them up. Oh, I definitely have a dad vibe in terms of, like, oh, you guys are getting real cocky. All right, well, you know. We're just going to have to knock you all out and then hope you don't roll bad on your death saving throw. <laughs> because if they start getting cocky, they're going to enjoy the game less. There you go. There needs to be stakes, full circle. You're Legolas. You're not Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Guys, this has been Adventure Academy. This has been my guest, Brian Murphy. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks uh, for having uh, me. And, of course, you guys, uh, if, you, if you're seeing this on YouTube, you could have seen it earlier on dropout.tv. You so fools. You fools. There are consequences. There are consequences. Later. Bye. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.